Welcome to Healthy Outcomes, brought to you by Baker Tilly, bringing you the latest trends and hottest topics in healthcare. Baker Tilly is a leading advisory, tax, and assurance firm dedicated to helping healthcare organizations explore ways in which they can win now and anticipate tomorrow. Let's go there. Hi, my name is Mark Ross, and I'm the leader of Baker Tilly's healthcare provider practice. Joining me for today's Healthy Outcomes podcast are two of my Baker Tilly colleagues, Keith Hutchinson and Brian Restivo. Keith is a partner that leads the charge relative to our acute care reimbursement services that we provide to our healthcare system clients. And Brian is a senior manager in our acute care reimbursement practice. Gentlemen, welcome to the podcast and thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Mark. Great to be here today. Thanks for having us, Mark. I appreciate it. You bet, guys. Hey, so on today's podcast, we will be talking about something that's very, very important to acute care hospitals out there across the U.S. And what we're going to be focused on today are some of the proposed Medicare reimbursement changes that will impact, again, inpatient acute care hospitals for fiscal 2024. And when I say fiscal 2024, that's the government's fiscal year, which begins October 1 of of 23. So some of these proposed changes, again, that we're going to be talking about would go into effect on October 1st. 23. So just to level set here before we dive into the Q&A, guys, for our listeners out there, in April of 2023, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, or CMS, issued the Fiscal 24 Medicare Hospital Inpatient Prospective Payment System and Long-Term Care Hospital Prospective Payment System proposed rule. So again, the proposed rule in April covered both acute care hospitals, the inpatient side of it, as well as LTACs or long-term care hospitals. Today's discussion, though, with, with Keith and Brian, we're going to focus on just the hospital side of it, acute care hospital side of it, the inpatient prospective payment system. So the proposed rule, I should say, comes out around April every year. And then the final rule, we're expecting the final rule to be published at some point in August. And between now and then, and Brian will be commenting on this at some point, Providers across the U.S. and others have the ability to comment on the proposed rule, share their feedback, their input with CMS. So again, proposed rule is what we're talking about today. This is not final. Nothing we're talking about here is final. What's proposed is subject to, to certainly change. And we will likely be doing an updated podcast at some point in September of 23 to talk about the final rule. So with that background, Keith, let's dive right into it. How does the proposed rule for fiscal 24 compare to the fiscal 23 final rule, or maybe said another way, Keith, how does it compare with what hospitals are being paid today, You know, some of the other policies they need to comply with today, things of that nature? So what's changing in fiscal 24? We are going to kind of compare it a little bit to 23 as a base to show where we're going here in 24, at least from the proposed rule. And overall... 24 is really not that positive of a proposal. You'll hear both Brian and I talk today about some of the major items in the rule, but we're coming off of 23 and a lot of hospitals had sort of a disastrous financial year in 23. So we're really in the point where you expect that the hospitals are going to need some help out there. Because last year we had high staff costs, large expense increases, 
lower than expected volumes, everything that lines up to not have that great of a year. So in talking on the Medicare inpatient rule, last year we ended up with a, it was a 4.1% increase adjusted for productivity factor guts it to about a 3.8%. Compared to 24, we're starting out at 3.1%, adjusted to 2.8%. So right off the start here, we're down 1%. And even MedPAC in their March report to Congress recommended that it be a percent higher. So Hopefully in the final rule, maybe they get a little better bump. So we're starting down at 1% in tight times. We also have new technology, which is a pass-through payment for new services that CMS pays hospitals for. This was reduced significantly in 23, and in 24, we're looking at another $460 million reduction. Now. CMS only keeps it a new technology out there for three years, and then it makes its way into the rate. However, $460 million is a large number to come out of that pass-through because a lot of it dealt with COVID-related drugs and so forth. So those are coming out of the payment system. Another big item that's always pops up in the inpatient rule is uncompensated care pool. The uncompensated care pool is not taking a real big adjustment. I mean, it's still 161 million, but it's 161 million across a lot of hospitals. Probably the bigger issue this year is the pool, which is allocated on the uncompensated care costs of all hospitals. This will be the first year that it'll be a three-year average. So the states that did not have Medicaid expansion couldn't pick up more money this year. And those are big states like Texas and Florida. So there could be, even though the reduction's not real large, there could be some redistribution of the funds in it. Then if we go back to the 2.8% increase, there's a lot of budget neutrality adjustments this year. They amount to another almost half percentage point reduction to take the 2.8% down to about 2.34. And those budget neutrality adjustments pay for three or four big items like reclassification adjustment, the low wage index policy adjustment, gap policy wage index adjustment, and world demonstration. So, for all those new things they add in, they take them out elsewhere. So you got to keep that in mind when we're looking at the entire rate. So we're down to 2.34%. In addition, there's another neutrality adjustment that goes straight into the wage index that's 0.91. Um, and it will impact you in a negative way as well. So if you're not lucky enough to be in one of the wage areas Brian is going to talk about later, your wage rate could go down in 24 and leave you with a lower wage point than 
previously in 23. Lastly, the other big item wanted to talk about from a high level is the outlier threshold. For the second year in a row, the outlier threshold is proposed to increase by 4.8%. This is following up a almost 25% increase in 2023, which is a combined two-year total of 33%. So it's going to reduce your outlier payments in 2024. So as you can see, Mark, from a high level, there's five or six items in there that really whittle away at the small increase offered up in the proposed rule. The devil's in the details, right? As they say, you need to kind of drill down, peel the onion back to figure out really what you're ultimately what hospitals can expect their rates to go up. And Keith, if I could just kind of pile on to the doom and gloom maybe that you shared to a certain extent, Ashley Thompson from the American Hospital Association, she's a senior vice president for public policy analysis and development with AHA. She was quoted soon after the proposed rule was published as saying, the AHA is deeply concerned with CMS's woefully inadequate proposed inpatient hospital payment update of 2.8% given the near decades high inflation and increased costs for labor, equipment, drugs, and supplies. And again, that 2.8% that Ashley stated there, as you said, Keith, the budget neutrality adjustments and other adjustments actually reduced that 2.8% even further. And her quote concluded by saying that these insufficient adjustments are simply unsustainable. Again, 2022, very, very challenging year for hospitals and healthcare systems across the country, maybe the most challenging year operationally from a margin perspective that healthcare systems have experienced. I actually did a podcast with Kevin Holleran from Fitch a couple months ago, and Kevin said just that, that 2022 was potentially maybe the worst year on record. And then Medicare is coming out again with these post-payment updates. Not a lot of good news, not a lot to be hopeful for, at least on the Medicare front. But before I dig myself any further into this news here, Brian, why don't we we pivot over to you, and can you talk about, again, as it relates to the proposed rule, what are the most significant issues impacting wage index for fiscal 24? I, I think you'll have some hospitals in certain states that won't be as doom as gloom, but, and I'll talk about that in a moment, but we're, we're actually starting to see the tip of the iceberg a bit with some of the wage data being used in this proposed rule that coincides with the increased cost of labor that you mentioned. The thing to keep in mind is even though this payment rate is for federal fiscal year 24, the wage data being used is from 2020 federal fiscal year. So this is really the tip of the COVID timeframe in which hospitals started seeing an increase in labor costs. And we're still not at that point yet where a lot of hospitals have incurred significant increases in contract labor. So in 24, the average hourly wage across the country is increasing about 5.3%. Historically, the average increase year over year has been two and a half to 2.75% each year. And what that means for hospitals is if your wages, including benefits, don't increase 5.3% to keep pace with the country, you're going to see a decrease in your wage index, which decreases your inpatient rate as well as your outpatient rates. So that's the first thing we're seeing is that that large increase year over year, and we expect that to be even larger or at least stay at that rate moving forward. But the most significant change in this proposed rule, and probably the most disruptive from a reimbursement impact, is how CMS is proposing to 
handle hospitals that are traditionally urban hospitals that have reclassified as an urban hospital to a rural hospital. And this proposed rule, Medicare is reacting to legal battles they've had over the past couple of years on how to treat these facilities and the wage index calculation. Now what we've seen is that they're proposing that starting 10-1, that these hospitals that are urban, that have reclassified as rural, will be included in the rural wage index. And what that means is, is that that will drive up what we call the rural floor calculation. That is a hold harmless provision that prevents any hospital in the state from being paid less than any rural hospital. So with that rural floor going up, that helps out a lot of rural hospitals. It also helps out a lot of those facilities that have reclassified. It's causing 596 hospitals to be eligible for the rural floor, whereas historically that number was in the 200s in, in prior years. So that's what's driving what Keith had mentioned with the budget neutrality decrease of the 98% is that all these changes have to be budget neutral. So Medicare give it and takes it away and that they're going to offset the rate to help pay for these changes. Now, not every state makes out here. The big states that do make out are New York, Pennsylvania, Arizona, California, Illinois, where you have a lot of urban teaching hospitals that reclassify to rural that have a lot of high wages. Uh, New York, for example, their rural floor is going to go up 40%. So that increases a lot of the wage index calculations for New York hospitals. On the flip side, in Colorado, where historically rural hospitals paid more than urban, they're actually going to get a 7.5% decrease in the wage index for the rural floor, which could cost the state millions of dollars because most hospitals in Colorado were paid the rural floor previously. So they're going to take a, a large hit here. And we're going to see a bit of a division when hospitals go to submit their comments and associations go to submit their comments to CMS, whether they're in favor of this change or not. But there are some losers there, but there are some states that went out pretty large there. A lot of moving parts relative to wage index, Brian. I think that's the, the summary of it all. Yeah, lots of moving parts yeah. and a lot of unknown how it's all going to shake out. Yeah, and so just to confirm, Brian, and again, this goes back to something Keith said, the urban to rural reclass, right? So those hospitals on the wage index side, they could be picking something up. But like, again, Keith said, and you made reference to as well, it, these all have to be budget neutral, right? So again, giveth, taketh, right? I mean, at, at the end of the day, there could be a little bit of a pickup but then there's a decrease somewhere else to offset these pickups, correct? Correct, yeah. So you almost have to look at it in totality from the beginning part of the rate and seeing what you're picking up on the wage wage index, if anything. But you almost have to be ahead of whatever they're cutting from the budget neutrality factor standpoint. So anybody who's in the 2% to pickup range is probably going to be neutral on everything. Anybody below that, going to lose. So just because you may get a 1% or 2% increase on a wage index, overall, you're probably a loser on it all. But some of these states like New York and Pennsylvania are, are way beyond where those budget neutrality cuts are. And the states like Colorado, West Virginia are going to be the ones that are going to pay for it, unfortunately. And just to confirm, Brian, said another way, and I'm going to show my how naive I am relative to, to reimbursement, hospital reimbursement anyway, is that there are going to be some winners out there, though. I mean, so like you said, right, there will be some winners but there will be some losers because at the end of the day, the winners need to offset the losers and we're budget neutral. I mean, that's the summary of it all. Correct. Yep, that's true. This is going to be very hospital specific and very state specific. Very state specific for sure. Okay. So Brian, s staying on the proposed rule here, 
and a couple other topics. Are there any new changes in the proposed rule relative to medical education or allied health programs? There's nothing really new, but what CMS did was they clarified a, a few things within the proposed rule. One relates to the way the course reporting works for medical education payments. And again, it's, it's nothing new, but what Medicare did was clarify how hospitals are supposed to make calculation adjustments if they enter into a, a uh, Medicare affiliation agreement to share residence with another hospital. It's always been a source of confusion and challenges at audit for hospitals to go through order adjustments for these calculations. And what CMS has done is make it a bit clearer for everybody in those updated instructions and how they're supposed to do it. So I feel it'll help out the course report preparers, but again, it's, it's nothing new in that aspect. From the allied health program, what's been kind of clarified or is at least a bit clearer is the application of the allied health pool cap. Uh, historically, it was always set at $60 million cap for the country. And then Medicare then disperses payments out to hospitals that run allied health programs. But Congress had put a waiver in that allowed that cap of $60 million to be lifted for 2010 through 2019. And what that did was provide those hospitals that operate those programs an influx of additional reimbursement. They amended their cost reports or reopened their cost reports within that time frame. But the trick is, is that $60 million cap is back in place for anything after 2019. So hospitals that would have had a short pickup of reimbursement are going to have an offset here move forward. So they can't get too comfortable with that increase of payments they've gotten. And they have to be aware that in 2020 and moving forward, when their cost reports get settled, those nursing allied health payments are going to be a lot lower. And just for a frame of reference, in 2019, Medicare paid out $40 million more in those payments versus what they would have had that cap been in place. So again, it's more so a clarity of things for this proposed rule, but there are good points to remember for those who are doing their cost reports, keep an eye on. A lot to consider there, Brian. If we can move, Keith, away from the proposed rule for a couple minutes here and talk about the Consolidated Appropriations Act. So the Consolidated Appropriations Act was enacted on December 29th of 2022. And my understanding is there were some reimbursement provisions included in, in that bill as well, which certainly impact acute care hospitals. So can you talk a little bit about those provisions, Keith? Yeah, it had several things, actually, that I think were of benefit to healthcare providers and even the physicians. Uh, one of the first things that comes to mind is that the physician fee schedule was set to be cut by four and a half percent here in 23. Now, they didn't do away with that completely. They didn't give them an increase, but what they did do was cut the decrease to two percent. And then in 24, they reduced the proposed reduction to the physician fee schedule there as well. So not getting a positive adjustment, but they did reduce the negative. They extended some telehealth waivers that related to COVID for another two years. They put a two-year extension on some hospital at home. They added some rural rate increases for ground ambulance including a 22.6% increase if you were in a, uh, one of the lowest population density. And as Brian just spoke, there was also some comments in there on the allied health caps. Two or three that I think really impact a lot of hospitals 
in a good way are they did extend the Medicare dependent hospital program through September 30th of 24. This allows those hospitals to get paid a, a higher inpatient rate based on a cost base year. So they've extended that through 24 and they extended the low volume payment through September of 24. And once again, there's a Senate bill back on the floor that was introduced earlier this year that could make those two programs permanent. That's not part of the act, but something that's come on since then. There's some other ones, but I felt these are pretty big to the provider community. And I would say these were all favorable. So I'm not negative Nelly. There you go. <laughs> Maybe we should have focused on the Consolidated Appropriations Act here, Keith, and just yeah, completely ignored the, yeah. the the proposed rule on this podcast. It is interesting what you said or the, the way you said it as you were commenting about this act. It kind of reduces the negative, right? The, you know, going for the physician fee schedule 4% to 2%. So when we're talking about good news being equivalent to reducing the negatives, right? That's It's generally, at the end of the day, not good news, right? <laughs> so interesting phrases there. So, well, thank you for that, Keith. So, Brian, transitioning again to something that what was not in the proposed rule, but it's a really significant issue out there that hospitals have been thinking about, and this relates to Medicaid dish payments, disproportionate share payments. They are scheduled to be reduced October 1st of of 2023. And the only way I believe that can be changed is building something into the final rule that'll come out in August that I made reference to, or potentially new legislation. So can you talk a bit about this significant Medicaid dish issue that's that's looming? Yeah, this issue has been looming out there for a number of years and is actually part of the Affordable Care Act going back a number of years. And these cuts were supposed to be put in place as more patients gained insurance. Now, these cuts, again, have been pushed off year after year, but if they go in as scheduled, it would be $8 billion of federal funding that gets cut to the states. And when that gets cut to the states, that trickles down to the hospitals in the form of, of less Medicaid dish funding. That's a lifeline for a lot of hospital facilities through their states. Now, there is some bipartisan support currently in a bill out there that providers should be working with their government relation folks and their associations um, again, this bill, which is called the Safety Net Hospitals Act, would delay these cuts for another two years. But I think we've all seen the news and the budget crisis that the federal government is in today. And at some point, we don't know when that lever is going to get pulled and these cuts would go into place. We're sitting here at May 31st, and there's only a couple more months before October 1st would go into play. So a lot of times this legislation would probably get pushed to the brink in September or even beginning part of October that delays things, but it's something that hospitals need to be aware of. They need to be able to estimate what this impact means to them. Again, some states have a lot more Medicaid dish funding for their facilities that operate, but each hospital needs to be aware of these potential cuts. The other thing we've seen, Mark, is that Medicare has put out new proposed regulations separate from the inpatient rule on how they're going to calculate the upper payment limit which limits how much a hospital can receive in these Medicaid dish funds annually. And, and for a lot of hospitals, this would be a negative impact in that the proposed regulation is going to carve out anybody who's a Medicare or Medicaid dual patient 
from their calculation. And that would ultimately decrease the shortfall and ultimately the payments that the hostels can retain from these payment streams. Uh, not only that, but also in that particular proposed rule was more leeway given to auditors to make estimates in missing data, meaning that CMS is going to allow independent auditors to make more discretionary adjustments and come up with their own estimates if hospital providers don't supply the required information at audit. And that loose discretion for the auditors uh, could be pretty substantial if hospitals have a hard time obtaining the data required for those audits. And these are retroactive audits years later that hospitals have risk for paybacks to the state who then have to return those federal funds back to CMS. So not directly related to the inpatient rule, but providers need to keep an eye on those two things, the Medicaid dish cuts come in October 1 and working with their government relation folks and those proposed rules of how they're actually going to calculate what providers can ultimately keep of those Medicaid dish funds. If both go into place, uh, they can be pretty substantial for a lot of hospitals and loss of government funding that many hospitals rely on to stay open. So Brian, I guess the summary of it is for the reimbursement teams, right? The in-house reimbursement teams at really every hospital across the country. It's not only understanding what you're being paid currently, but boy, there's a lot of analysis relative to what we might be paid, right? If some of these things happen in the future so that hospitals are in a position to make other changes if they need to make other changes to react to some of these proposed changes. So a lot of forward-looking analysis, right, Brian, that needs to be done? Yeah, absolutely. And that analysis needs to be looked at as these rules are proposed so they can work with their government relation officials within their organization to have those discussions with their hospital associations to put pressure back onto CMS through uh, the comment periods that each rule has try to put pressure on CMS whether to delay or change these proposed regulations. And providers have those opportunities to submit their comment letters to Medicare. Medicare is required to go through all those comment letters and either group them in a bucket and respond in totality or respond directly to them. But they do get looked at each rule period. And I encourage providers to either write their own comment letter or work with their government relations and hospital associations to make sure their voice is heard on a lot of these items and issues. I've seen in the past that a lot of hospitals say, well, the, the associations handle it, let them fight the battle for us. But there is strength in numbers on a lot of these topics that really would benefit the greater good if more hospitals got engaged in the advocacy against some of these proposed regulations and cuts. Yeah, Brian, that's a great point. Hospitals need to, you know, if they want to see change, right, see positive change, they need to take action, right? Take action themselves and maybe not necessarily rely exclusively on their association partners. So guys, over the last 30 minutes, we talked about a lot. So in summary, we talked about at a high level, the proposed rule for fiscal 24 as compared to where providers are today. And it's a 2.8% increase, but that increase comes down a little bit. Again, inpatient, these are inpatient services, comes down a little bit, excuse me, budget neutrality adjustments, et cetera. Talked about wage index. Again, a lot of moving parts there. Brian, you touched on medical education, allied health programs. Keith shared a little bit of good news relative to the Consolidated Appropriations Act and some of the provisions there. Medicaid DISH, not a lot of good news there. We'll have to keep an eye on that and see if something's going to change here before October 1st of 23 when those payments are scheduled to be reduced. So guys, beyond that, and I'll just throw it out to both of you. Anything else that you want to mention here in closing? Any other big issues on your minds that providers should be aware of? 
I guess big is relative to the provider and their own issues, but there is a uh, capital dish win for those hospitals that reclassify from urban to rural. There was a court case that was won in September of 2021, and CMS has decided to go ahead and pay capital dish to those hospitals that have reclassified to rural. Previously, CMS viewed that because you reclassified to rural, you were rural and you didn't get capital dish because that only goes to urban hospitals over 100 beds. So they've put that in, but they put it in effective on 10-1 of 23. And if you've got an appeal prior to that or a protested amount, we would recommend you pursue that because I don't know why that wouldn't go back to older years. That is a win if you've reclassified for that group of providers. You know, Keith, I say let's put a fork in this podcast and let's end on a positive note, right? You mentioned the word win. So let's uh, let's end there. But overall, overall, the tone from, again, from a Medicare reimbursement perspective for inpatient acute care hospitals, the overall tone is is not all that great. So the old saying is, and, and what we consistently tell our healthcare provider clients is, is really these days you have to control what you can. You need to take a look at your other payers and other payer contracts, right? Your managed care, your commercial insurance contracts. Make sure that you're negotiating rates that are as favorable as they can be. We do a lot of that type of work with our clients. Managing your expenses. You know, Keith made reference to it earlier. I made reference to it. Very challenging time today on the expense front. You know, labor costs, contracted labor, inflationary increases, supplies, pharmaceuticals, et cetera. So do your best to manage your expenses or to mitigate the increases in those expenses, again, as best you can. So control what you can. Not a lot of great news here on the Medicare front. Hopefully when we come back in September and we update this podcast for the final rule, again, the final rule we're expecting to be published in August, you know, we'll have some different news. Maybe it'll be a, a little bit brighter out there. So Keith, Brian, I want to thank you for joining our podcast today. I also want to thank our listeners for joining this podcast. If you found this episode useful and would like to listen to more episodes about hot topics in the healthcare industry, please subscribe to our Healthy Outcomes podcast or learn more by visiting us at bakertilly.com. Keith, Brian, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for listening. To receive notifications when new episodes are available, please subscribe on whichever platform you get your podcasts. For additional resources, check out bakertilly.com. 